0: You're listening to The Magnet Podcast.
1: Welcome. You are listening to the Magnet Theater podcast. I am your host Lewis Kornfeld, and today I am speaking with stand-up, monologist, improviser, and the radio host of the popular show. You're the expert on WBUR. WBUR Chris Duffy. We'll hey. Edit that one out, Chris. On my little flub on WBUR. <laughs> yeah. Little joke from before the podcast about it. Okay. Yeah. Chris. Thanks for talking.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, a pleasure. So I want to start off by uh, talking a little bit about you are the expert. If you can explain the show to to our listeners. Totally.
0: Um, So it's a a public radio show that we do in front of a live audience. And um, the idea is that it's three comedians who have no idea what's going on trying to guess what a scientist does all day. And then once they figure it out, we interview the scientist about their work and why it's new and important. And um, it's kind of like a little bit, I like to describe it as... It's a little bit like wait, wait, don't tell me, or like what the Daily Show or the Colbert Report do for news—just mm-hmm. take something that's kind of dry but important and make it really funny and exciting. Yeah. We try and do that same thing for research.
1: Where did the uh, impulse for the show come from? What's the what's the what's the sensibility?
0: Um, so I started uh, I started doing comedy out after college um, in Boston, and uh, I was. You know, I was performing improv and I was really loving it. And I kind of got to the place where um, I was getting to perform when I wanted to perform. And I felt really good about that and kind of regularly having crowds. And I started to kind of have this feeling of like, "Hmm, I'm having a lot of people see me, but what are they leaving with? Mm -hmm. Like I had this feeling of like the best case scenario is people are like, that guy has some great stories about babysitting, Mm -hmm. Uh, which was kind of like, "Uh, I don't know. Like, that's not really the most meaningful thing. Do you actually have great stories about babysitting? Oh, I have great stories. Fabulous. Oh, totally. We can totally get into that. We'll get into that later. Um, And so I was teaching fifth grade and and babysitting and had stories about both of those things. But it kind of felt like there wasn't something super meaningful. Like people were laughing, which is important. But what else? And then at the same time, I was meeting all these people because I was living between Harvard and MIT, I was meeting all these people who were doing this really amazing research and no one was ever going to hear about their work. Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't read their academic papers, maybe five people in the world were ever going to hear what they were doing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was meet I met someone who like studied the d- DNA of Neanderthals and I met someone who studied like how to cure HIV. And I met someone who was studying how sea urchins mate. And it just seemed like these are such fascinating, rare topics to hear about. Um and no one was hearing about them, and at the same time, I felt like I have this platform, but I don't have something to say. So the marriage of those two things is where the, yeah. the show really came from.
1: It's interesting because it, it makes you think of like the, the sort of like dual edges of comedy. That comedy has an ability to kind of wake people's interest up into things that otherwise would be a little bit too dry or 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 just sort of not in their wheelhouse. And the flip side to that is comedy also has the ability to. Um, shut you the hell up and Mm -hmm. make you fall asleep, you know, like, uh, um, so it's interesting to just thinking about like wanting to pass on a more meaningful experience with your comedy to an audience. It's really interesting that approach of using it as a way to try to enhance people's, uh, um, interest in the world around them.
0: Yeah. I think it also comes, I think it starts because I, I had been performing improv first. That's where I started. And to me, good improv is always, if you go for something interesting and you get funny, great. But if you fail, it's still interesting to watch. Yeah. And I think now that I do stand up, it's rare in stand up to feel like if it wasn't funny, it still works. Mm-hmm. And in improv, I think often I'm like, well, that can come back and be funny later, mm-hmm. and it's fine if it's just interesting now. And that's where the show is. This show is like, let's use this interesting stuff as fuel for the comedy, as opposed to just going for the laughs. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, all my favorite comedians and all the things that I love the most are people who cared passionately about someone and something. And the way that they were able to express that passion was happened to be through comedy and making people laugh. Yeah, it's certainly true that people will pay more attention to you if you can make it fun and interesting.
1: Yeah, it it uh, it adds a little bit of sugar, totally, to to dry information. Yeah. Well, there's a pattern and a theme. I'm just going to read off some of the other shows that you produce. You produce a series of weekly shows, including taste test comedy. Three Great Things, and you will soon to be producing, is this correct, The Most mm. Incredible Hour Language School?
0: Yeah, super fun, most incredible one-hour language school.
1: Yeah, and all of these uh, have some really interesting stuff in common, which in my mind as I'm reading about them uh, have to do with a sense of kind of enlightenment through comedy. Mm. I hope that that's not an inappropriate phrase. No, totally.
0: I always think about it as like, I started as a teacher, Yeah, and in a lot of ways I still think of myself as like a teacher and a comedian. Yeah. And so the things that I like the most are where you come out of it with something. Yeah. So like maybe you learned about a new food and you like tried something you never tried before. Now you know how to say hello and say a proverb in Korean. Yeah. Um, all my favorite shows, I, I always feel like I leave with something that I didn't have before. And so that's kind of what I've been going for with the shows that I create.
1: That's a really interesting. I want to get back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. I want to talk through these different shows that you're producing sure. and give the people listening to this podcast the opportunity to find them because they're fascinating. Take us through them. Taste test comedy. Can you explain
0: that? So this is... Um, We do this kind of roughly once a month in New York and then also in Boston and some other places. And it's um, local food vendors. They give out like small bites of their food Mm -hmm. and then uh, comedians try out fresh jokes. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the food world and the comedy world coming together.
1: Yeah. That's such an amazingly good idea.
0: And it's fun because what I think is often like when you start a comedy show, the audience feels a little weird. Yeah. Like they don't feel like they know each other. And what's fun about this is they've already been like mingling and tasting food and naturally talking to each other. So as soon as the show starts, everyone's like, we're already friends. We're already having a good time. Now let's laugh together. Yeah. Which I just love so much because I, I hate that. Uh, I always try and avoid the like adversarial of like, you guys are going to laugh at me or I'm going to hate you. Yeah. And instead, this is like, hey, we're all friends. We all had food together. We broke bread. Now we can laugh, right? Yeah, That's okay. We're on the same page. I
1: had an experience a couple of months ago. I was doing a, um, uh, I was hosting a class show here at the Magnet. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the audience was filling in for the show, uh, somebody smelled gas. So we had to evacuate the building. it oh, was a wow, gas really? Yeah.
0: It was a real gas leak.
1: It, it, it turned out to be a false alarm. Somebody had smelled mm. it, but it wasn't anything. I don't know what it was, but yeah. there was the fire department came. There was no danger to it, but it pushed the show off by about an hour. Mm. Um, and, uh, so there was some debate about whether we were going to close the building down, whether we we're going to cancel the show or whatever yeah. was going to happen. About half the audience ended up wandering away, but the, the, uh, The students in the class decided that assuming that the building wasn't going to be staying closed for the night, they wanted to stick around and do the show. So the audience that was hanging out on the street with them beforehand decided, well, we'll stick around too. Then it turned out to be a false alarm. We came back up and we did the show before the gas smell there was sort of like a palpable sense of what you get before any show, the nerves of the performers. And there was kind of like a a formality with the people in the audience. But after having shared that experience together and been outside on the street and been hanging out with each other, we came back up and they did hands down the best show they ever had in their run. Oh yeah. And there was just this like beautiful sense of that, that, adversarial thing. And you don't see adversarial too much in, in improv, but you do see that dividing line between the presenters and the receivers. Totally.
0: And instead it was like, we hypothetically almost died together just now. Now we're on the same page.
1: Exactly. We shared this experience together. And so now it's more a thing of like peers. Hmm. My peers
0: are coming up to kind of like share with me what they can do. And it was just the warmest, loveliest environment and also all comedy i mean anytime comedy goes well it's we're all on the same page right right whatever the form of comedy whether it's sketch or improv or stand-up or anything when people are laughing it's we're seeing things the same way we're right. all sharing an experience and so if you can have that shared experience before the comedy even starts man there should be gas leak every show you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally uh, that's the uh, message here if you're at home and you want to start a show just cut the gas line first and then Seal it up and start your show afterwards. Or if
1: you're a nervous improviser and you're worried about how you're going to be received by people, uh, um, uh, phone in a threat. Totally, yeah. A bomb threat, just as good. Uh, we could technically be arrested for saying that, right? I think.
0: Uh, I don't know. That's a hypothetical bomb that, threat. That
1: is a hypothetical bomb yeah, threat. Yeah, it turns
0: out it wasn't a bomb threat at all.
1: This is um, satirical. Yeah,
0: this is uh, this whole podcast is satirical. <laughs> Label satire when it's shared on Facebook, in Boy. brackets. <laughs> uh, um. I was reading, have you ever read something
1: wonderful right away by uh, Jeffrey Sweet? Mm -hmm. There's a great passage in the very beginning. He's doing like the introductory notes to the books, to the book. And um, he quotes Louis L'Amour and Louis L'Amour was saying that um, in certain Native American tribes, uh, um, people returning from the hunt would perform uh, sort of a pantomime of the hunt. They would kind Mm. of take the rest of their community through that particular hunt and that it was received not as um, heroism or valor on the part of the hunters, but it was received as uh, the community's accomplishment and the Mm. community's achievement. So there was a sense of, uh, with each successful hunt and then the retelling of it, it's an opportunity for all of us to express joy in what we have done together. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Isn't that great? That's great. And so he, he draws the connection between that and between improvisational theater and improvisational comedy, uh, where peers are speaking among peers and sharing their life experiences. But what I find really interesting about the work that you do is that it is Beyond sharing life experiences, there are things where you're involving people in the community around them. For instance, uh, um, having local food vendors share the food that they're working on while, while you're getting new jokes tested out in front of you. Or no. the other shows that you produce as well. Can you take us through three great things, which it sounds yeah. so delightful. Oh, this is
0: so fun because I, this is one of my favorite ones to do just because it's so... Unabashedly positive. Yeah. So it's uh it's I picked three performers who are generally there's a real mix of people. So there's some comedy, some music, something else, maybe poetry or sketch or drama, like a short play. Yeah. And uh after they're set, each of them recommends three things that they love right now. And what's really fun is um so we did it last night and people recommended such a diversity of things. So like one person, Joe Firestone performed who I just like love. She's I think great. she's so wonderful. Yeah. And uh she afterwards, she was like Here's what I love. Gaff tape. I am a huge fan of gaff tape and here's why. And like, I had no idea that gaff tape was so special before. And then people in the audience were like, okay, gaff tape. And then what we do is we, um, we, I buy the things that they like Mm -hmm. and we, uh, have like a raffle where everyone gets a number as they come in. I pull the number out of a hat and then like someone won gaff tape and someone else won Joe's favorite book. And then, um, like I gave out this spoon. That's like my favorite spoon. And then we gave out, uh, a book, uh, this book that um, the musician Ryan Derringer, one of my favorite musicians, he played a an acoustic set, and then he gave out the book Ten Oh Four by Ben Lerner, which was like this is my favorite book right now. So it's fun because you get to see them perform, and then you also get them humanized in mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's so fun too. And it's also just fun to me to be like, oh. I like your performances, but also like, this is kind of the stuff that you're into. That's not right. Your comedy. So I love that. Well,
1: it's interesting because like it, it brings the performer back to the level of being a peer and being a a person with an offstage existence that they walk among us. Mm -hmm. And so you, I don't know, it, it sometimes you watch shows, comedy shows or otherwise, and there's sort of like an inhuman element to it. It, Mm. You can start to think of the performers as being sort of objects because it, you just assume that totally. your job is to deliver a perfectly tuned product to me or yeah. whatever that is. But when you strip that away and you're actually hearing after a performance, and I love that idea of presenting a scripted, scripted material that yeah. you're working on a scene or something, and then coming out and saying, I love gaff tape. Totally. Yeah. It, 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 it I don't know. It goes back to that Louis L'Amour thing in my mind where yeah. it becomes the community's accomplishment. It becomes, Oh, these are the, these are my fellow travelers of my generation, of my tribe, of my culture. These are the people that I'm with who are kind of showing
0: me these beautiful things that they do and letting me enjoy what's in their mind. Yeah, and I, I just think it. what's fun is, like, anytime you select someone to perform, you're saying, like, hey, I love this person. I want to share them with you. Yeah. And what's fun is then giving them the opportunity to be like, and also here's things that I would like to share with you that maybe aren't performance, right? Like, some of them were like, here's an artwork or here's a podcast or here's other things that you couldn't see. Yeah. What, what you said, too, about the... Uh, the breaking down of the like distance between performer and audience. So I have a, uh, on my desk, I have a bunch of post-it notes that I just keep to remind myself of things. And one of them is I, I have a big list of like, be like these people. Mm-hmm. And then I just keep a list. And like, I just try and remind myself of like qualities of each of those people that I really admire. Yeah. And so one of the people who I'm also just such a huge fan of is, uh, Chris Gethard. Mm-hmm. I just think is amazing. And one of the things I think is the most amazing about him is that He's, he's a famous person now. Like he is a famous person. People know him and he has, is amazingly accessible and yeah. like does not in any way treat it as though he and the people who like him are different. Yeah. He's like, I'm a person. You're a person. Like, talk to me, send me an email. Let's like chat. And, yeah. you know, like the first time I met him, I was like nervous and he was nervous too. Yeah. Not, not because he knew me at all, but just cause he was like, I, I'm nervous to meet someone. And he kind of made himself vulnerable in that way. Yeah. And, he's been so kind and wonderful to me. And I know that he's like that to everyone that he meets. And it's yeah. just a really cool thing to then see like, yeah, you don't have to make it like sometimes people get obsessed with like, if I treat people like normal, then they'll just think I'm a regular person. Right. I, they won't think that I'm important. And right. instead, said, he's such a good reminder of like, you are more important by treating other people with kindness and like, as though you care about them. Cause you do. Well, there's also uh, not to harp on the subject, but it's interesting with, with
1: Gethard because he He's not only a brilliant comedian, yeah, but um he and I hope that this doesn't sound insulting yeah His career has been a sort of gradual ascent into celebrityhood, yeah, and everybody he has a ton of friends and a ton of followers and a ton of coworkers and everybody in the New York community and the new york comedy world knows him or has worked with him or has been taught by him or or whatever and in a way it's it like there's something very human about the gradual ascent to stardom totally and it's it does sort of feel a little bit like the community's accomplishment not only do i know that guy yeah. but like i've hung out with that guy i've been taught by that guy i've you know what i mean like yeah well
0: it, here's a real thing that happened is i did a show one of my first shows that i did in new york i came down from boston And I like got, I I did a panel on humor writing and Mm -hmm. and he agreed to do it, which was like such a huge deal. And I was so excited about it. And, uh, when I was setting up in the theater at this kind of like fancy theater that we'd rented, the doorman was like, the doorman at the theater was like, uh, who's on the show? And I named the people and he didn't know any of them. And then I was like, and Chris Gethard and he's like, Hey, I love Chris Gethard. Like the, the, the random doorman knew him and loved him. That like said it all to me. Yeah. What's, uh, uh,
1: what's the strangest thing that somebody has loved? in that show that they've shared with an audience that you've had to go out and buy. Hmm. Gaff tape's pretty strange.
0: Yeah. Well, one, uh, so Ryan actually gaff tape was definitely pretty strange. Cause it was like, this is the weirdest. This was the prize that the audience felt the most ambiguous about winning. Yeah. Although she sold it so well that people were actually legitimately excited to get gaff tape. Well, when you stop
1: and think about it, gaff tape is amazing. It I, is. I have solved most of my life problems with
0: gaff tape. It's so strong and it doesn't take the, the paint off. How is that even possible? It's fantastic. Um, so that was one. That was a stranger one. Ryan <laughs> loved this very particular uh, holder for a, on a dashboard for your phone. So like you're using your phone for GPS. This holder holds it in place so it doesn't slide around. And it was like this one particular one that was his favorite thing mm-hmm. in the world. And that was kind of uh, that was kind of a strange one because I, I had to like f- search for it on Amazon and buy this particular brand. Yeah. And the reviews of it were great. Yeah. Because it was all these you know like. Uh, user curated questions and user curated answers so the company couldn't like say them and you know the questions were like does it hold uh does it hold it in the vertical position no only horizontal good luck <laughs> <laughs> or another one was like will it will it slide around and melt if i'm driving in high heat in florida and the person said it depends on what kind of driver you are <laughs> Which I really a lot. Uh, so yeah that was a that was a more unusual one
1: i uh I saw a show at uh, the Barrow Street Theater in December called Every Brilliant Thing. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. It's a one-man show, and uh, I apologize. I'm, now I'm blanking on on who directed and who starred in it. But uh, it's a one-man show, and it's this guy telling the story of his mother's suicide attempt. Oh, wow. His mother attempted suicide when he was uh, a boy. And um, so when she got out of the hospital to try to sort of perk her up and remind her of things to be happy about. He began writing out lists of just things that are brilliant and things mm. that are amazing. And it's stuff like gaff tape yeah, or, or, you know, the fourth season of Seinfeld or something like all these like little tiny things. And the list began to grow over, over the years until he had like a million of them. Oh, i the like,
0: I, this is such a strange thing to be obsessed with, but like right now I am obsessed with lists. Yeah. I like, uh, I've in my stand-up, I've been doing a lot, so many lists that I like have to make a joke about. Like I do list based comedy now because I was just like, everything I want to talk about is in list form. That's amazing. But, but also just like making them and, and seeing them. And like, I have a list that I just started today, which is like questions I'd like to ask like household items. Yeah. Right. Like shower all I ever put in you is soap and water. How do you get dirty? (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong? What's going on here? That's like a big question that I have there. That, um, uh, do you think of yourself as a highly organized person or a highly disciplined person? You know, I didn't used to, but I often have thought that like, why, why have I been able to make things happen? And I think like part of it is like being able to like improve and get better. But I think a lot of it is too, like I'm just good at like following up and making like, I can set up a show for myself and I can like make the logistics happen and you know, send out emails and book people and show up on time and I think I'm good at that side. Yeah. I think I'm really good at the organizational side. I I I want to get back to the list in just a second. Yeah, yeah. I just want to finish this
1: point because it 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 is leading to a compliment that I would like to make about your sensibility and your attitude towards everything. And,
0: uh, um, Oh, I'm excited. A, a compliment it's a nice down compliment. the road. Yeah. yeah.
1: It, it going back to, so, so the show ever brilliant thing. So he, he throughout the show, he beforehand, he gave a bunch of people in the audience, uh, um, numbered, uh, uh, objects or oh, uh, on cool. a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So as he's going through the list, he'll call on like number 115 and whoever has number 115 calls it out. And it's this beautiful participatory experience mm. where everybody in the audience could see everybody else. And we're all calling out all these brilliant things and all these wonderful things, yeah. gaff tape and a pencil holder for your dashboard and all that, you know, yeah. and it, what I left the show thinking was those aren't brilliant things. Those are amazing. Gaff tape is incredible and it saved my ass so many times and I'm so grateful for it, but you just completely overlook all these things. It's, it's like you're surrounded by these wonderful things that enhance your life and that mean something special to you, but they're kind of so close to you that you don't see them at all.
0: Yeah. Well, and we're, we're also so hardwired to see negative and to note negative instead of positive. Yes. I, 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 Oh, sorry. One thing I read a a psychologist talking about relationships and they said that like the biggest thing that determines whether a relationship is successful is how people deal with each other in the small moments because that it takes, they said it takes seven positive interactions to make up for one negative one Mm -hmm. in terms of how much we remember it. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I just always try and remember in life in general is like, you know, how are you? Smile. All those little things, those you need to do a lot of them to add up because we remember the one mean look. Yeah. And so you have to kind of build a stockpile of the positive ones.
1: I just read this anecdote in uh, a Colin Wilson book called super consciousness, which is a silly title, but a decent book. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And he was talking about this one guy who had had an epiphany that kind of changed him for the rest of his life. And the epiphany, the story is this guy was talking to his friend one day and he said to his friend, I'm so unhappy and his friend said, no, you're not. You just think you are. Mm. And it he had like a, a miniature breakdown for several days. And when he came out of the breakdown, it had like transformed his personality. That wow. realization that maybe I'm not unhappy. Maybe I keep on just telling myself that yeah. I am and finding reasons to be. Uh, um, but maybe, you know, uh, this like happiness or, or something else is under the surface that I'm completely ignoring. Yeah. Onto the compliment,
0: great! Uh, so this is what I was it, waiting for.
1: Well, this is what I, I find so interesting about everything that you produce, and 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 just your attitude to everything. Right, go, going back to this idea of of what are people getting out of your comedy and getting out of your shows. It, it's so fascinating how you are leaving people with gifts and insights, and mm. and and leaving them with something like the realization that oh, gaff tape, I love gaff tape. Yeah, I don't just, it, it It takes it from an object that I use when I need it into something that I'm being reminded by my peers and by other people in the tribe that I travel with and my time here, that gaff tape is a beautiful, fantastic thing. And now you have this like renewed appreciation for gaff tape. I, it It's just something that, I don't know, it immediately comes off of you that that's the attitude that you have, that there's something like brilliant and wonderful to take away from your comedy, your entertainment.
0: Oh, thanks a lot. That, that really, that means a lot because I, I, that's something I think about a lot and, and want very much to be the case. So yeah. I appreciate that.
1: Okay. So we have, I want to keep on going down the list of shows. So sure. we have, uh, um, uh, taste test comedy where mm-hmm. people get to hear new jokes and also sample the food of local vendors. Mm-hmm. So you get that beautiful gift. We have three great things where you actually hear three great things of, of these great performers that you're watching. And then you're also starting to work on most incredible hour language school. Can yeah. you, can you explain that?
0: Uh, so, you know, I, um, I, at the beginning of the year, like, made a big list of, like, here are things that I care about. And, like, what are things that I love and how can I put those in shows? And one thing that I'm just totally a nerd about and obsessed with is languages. Mm-hmm. I, like, really like learning new languages. And I've kind of spent a lot of time thinking about languages and taking classes and doing all that. And so the idea with this is I think that anyone would like languages if they learned the parts that are fun, right? The parts that get a reaction out of mm-hmm. someone. So the idea was, what if we had a class that was one hour in a restaurant? So like you go to a Korean restaurant, you have a meal and during the meal, you learn how to say hello, yes or no. And then you learn how to tell a joke and sing a song. So now like (laughs) as soon as you tell this joke, any person who speaks Korean is going to laugh because they're going to be like so surprised that you can tell it. And once you get that reaction, maybe you'll go on and learn how to actually communicate in Korean, but maybe you'll just like for the rest of your life know like, oh, you're from Korea. Here's my joke because I have that and like. I often say, and this is totally true, that the best I've ever done in stand-up, the best I've ever done in improv, the best reaction I've got pales in comparison to two old Korean women hearing me speak Korean for 10 seconds. Yeah, Like they, their minds were blown in the best possible way when I said my proverb to them, right? When I said like, basically I said anything to them in Korean and then they said back, you speak Korean well. And then I said, which means even a dog could recite poetry after three years in a village schoolhouse <laughs> and their heads exploded because it's just the perfect proverb and it's not that i know so much Korean, it's just i memorized it knowing i'd be able to say that and like these two ladies were just like ah, i love you so much and i was like this is i for someone who craves approval oh my like I now will like seek out elderly Korean women to just throw that at them. Just to engage them in conversation. Yeah, just so to, that get I can to get, that get that them. to that <laughs> point. Now say to me I'm good so I can throw the proverb at you. And so the idea is what if I could give that gift to other people so they could try that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're doing that. And the, the first languages we have coming up are we're going to do um, Korean, we're going to do Greek. And then Yiddish and then Wolof, which is from Senegal. So those are the first four that we have coming up.
1: That's amazing. How do people get involved with that? How do you, how do you get to participate?
0: Uh, so I think probably the best way for that one would be to go on my website, okay. um, which is ChrisDuffyComedy.com because we were still locking down the exact, uh, dates and times because I have to figure out when this restaurant will let us use their back room. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about that. And yeah. I already have the like teachers lined up. So there's going to be like an actual teacher there. And then I'm going to get a bunch of people who speak the language to sit at everyone's table so they can practice. Yeah. So the idea is you get a bunch of cards that are like getting to know you questions and you'll ask your partner and then they'll just say like yes or no in Korean. Right. Yeah. So everyone will be like, nay, Anyo. Like, are you, do you. Were you did you grow up in New York? you And they'd be like, "Oh, really? Okay, where did you grow up?" Like, "Oh, Boston." Great. Did you like Boston? Nay. You know, it's just like I think it'd be a really fun way to like practice but also get to know people. So I'm super excited about that. Uh I got to say, you know,
1: the idea of like comedy and education. My first association with that is probably not the most pleasant. The first association It's so that bad comes most mind, of the time. Yeah, it's so bad. It because it, you you The, my association to that is somebody trying to force a lesson on me, Mm -hmm. um, but not, at, not even having the dignity to acknowledge that this is like painful and horrible for both of <laughs> totally, us, totally. you know, like, uh, I'll make it fun for you, for you to have to sit and absorb this thing that I want you to have in your mind.
0: Yeah. It's like a geometry lesson. And at the beginning they're like, well, I don't want you to be square. Right. And you're like, Okay. This is horrible. This is we should the
1: worst. both jump out this window. Right. You're embarrassing yourself. You're making me uncomfortable, but yeah. you know, um, uh, but you're so infectious. I'm sorry to keep on like I don't know. Oh, like, no, you know, I, that's I know great. That. But it it like all of these things of of embracing foreign languages and and sampling the foods of local vendors and 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 being turned on to the passions and interest of the other people who are in your community. Like it, uh, all of them have this great thing in common of like just a, an excitement to engage in the world around you. That it, it doesn't have that feeling at all of trying to force a lesson on anybody or doing something for somebody's good. It actually makes it so engaging and so fun to want to interact with, with where you are and, you know, a, 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 both a physical world of foods that you can sample and a world of ideas to learn. And it, you know, it's just such an incredible thing. And I imagine very difficult to pull off if you weren't absolutely
0: sincere about it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I- the more that I do this stuff and the more that I just talk to people across the board, the more that I realize that what's really interesting isn't quote unquote interesting topics. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is people who are passionate about stuff. Mm -hmm. So when we do the radio show, right, when we do, you're the expert, people are often like, how do you find such interesting experts? And I'm like, that's actually not what I look for. I don't look for topics that are great. What I look for is someone who's passionate about their stuff. Cause Mm -hmm. one of the best people we've ever had on the show studies sand Right. I can't imagine something more boring than sand, but this guy is obsessed with sand. So when he talks about it and he's like, I got to tell you what I love about sand. I got to tell you why sand is the most fascinating thing in the world. Even if you're not interested in sand, I'm interested in someone who's passionate about sand and everyone is. So I think the, the key is to like, as long as you're authentically into the stuff you're talking about, people really read that authenticity. And that's what like I'll hear. I'll listen to someone talk about corners for hours if they really care about corners. Mm-hmm. But if someone's going to talk about space, which is an interest inherently interesting topic, but they don't care about it, it's probably going to be boring. Yeah. It'd be really hard for it to be interesting.
1: Yeah. The you know, the exposure to somebody else's enthusiasm has a tendency to kind of um wipe some of the dust off of your own mental mirror. Yeah. And that there's a a sense of when you, when you walk away from an encounter with somebody, whether it's sort of one-on-one in real life or whether it's through the guise of the kind of shows that you're producing. Yeah. You walk away feeling, I I don't know exactly the right word for it, but like sparkling sort of comes to mind or there's something just kind of like clean in your mind. You feel as if like your brain is being polished just by the exposure to to just pure enthusiasm and pure authenticity. There's something about it that gets right to the core of, um, okay. I, 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 I am authentic too on some level that is just covered up by layers and layers of ideas and bullshit and telling myself that I'm unhappy and all that kind of stuff.
0: So another person who's on that list of like people who I keep on my desk to remember, like be like these people is uh, the poet Sarah Kay, who I, I just think is amazing. She's so wonderful. And uh, one of the things that she says that I think about all the time is she's like, don't walk through life like this with your arms crossed, mm-hmm. her arms crossed over her chest. She goes, walk through life like this with your arms open, ready to receive, right? Mm-hmm. Because arms crossed is cool. That's cool. You're letting things bounce off you. You're not letting anything hit you. And arms open, the way you should walk through your life, you're ready to catch things, to receive them. You're vulnerable. Yeah. But when you do walk through like that, you actually can experience things. You can see them like they're beautiful things that will end up in your hands. And when you walk through life in this cool way, you never, nothing ever sticks to you. And I think that's what makes people's passion. So exciting is that they're making themselves vulnerable. Right. If I tell you like, I think sand is the coolest thing in the world. It's so easy to be like, this guy is a freak, right? He thinks sand is awesome that you make. Once you put yourself out there, then there's something inherently interesting about being vulnerable. Yeah. And, uh, I love Anna DeVere. I'm just like, this is like the list of things that Chris loves, but Go for it. Um, I love Anna DeVere Smith. Her book, um, straight up advice on, uh, to a young artist is like, Oh no, it's called letters to a young artist, straight up advice on making a life in the arts. I think it's the best book ever written about making a life as an artist. And one of the things she talks about there too, is like the death of cool. How mm-hmm. we have to cool, kill this idea of like being, cool and having people not judge us and instead just be out there be weird be yourself mm-hmm. that's what makes you actually resonate with people yeah which to me is like it's just much more interesting because cool is so generic right everyone's like nah, i don't like that i don't like that it's so much more interesting to see someone be like i'm obsessed with gaff tape yeah i'm obsessed with sand i really love talking about the prime the way prime numbers scale yeah. like those are all things that are like you could, Anytime you can be like, no, that's weird, that's better. Yeah. I think that's always better.
1: I One of my favorite quotes of all time is by Alan Moore, and, and he said, don't be cool, like everything. Yeah. It's just such a fantastic like everything. I like that he didn't stop with don't be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that he included like everything. Totally. Why, why, in your opinion, is it so much easier to think about and isolate and spot the negative and and not spot like why is it so difficult for us as a species to look at gaff tape and say thank you gaff tape
0: well i think we're programmed right like biologically and i'm sure that there's someone who could dispute this or maybe confirm this yeah but i think we're programmed to like look for danger right Mm -hmm. and so like when you're walking down the street and you smell like raw sewage you're like gotta gotta watch out can't get sewage on me i might die whereas when you smell like ginger or hibiscus your body isn't like red alert Great smell. Uh, and the Same thing when you like notice something beautiful. Your body isn't like, watch out. Whereas if someone's a car is about to slam into you, that's so much more present. Right. And I think you have to deliberately counteract that. Those evolutionary systems and be yeah. like, also there's a. It's not just about being alive. It's also about enjoying your life while you're alive. Right. So, I think I think that's kind of why.
1: It it. I was thinking about this this morning actually uh, of the kind of universe that a little kid lives in versus the universe that a that a, a grown person lives oh, in. Oh yeah. And I was uh, uh flipping through this pretty decent no, I, I'll go beyond that. Great acting book called The Actor and the Target. The Actor and the Target by Declan Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Donnelly Donnelly. I don't remember. I'm sorry. We'll edit this out later. <laughs> uh, uh uh, again, a callback to a conversation that nobody listening to this was privy to, so it's just between you and me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but he was the, the the premise of the book is is how to get out of your own head as an actor mm. um, by focusing on this target outside of yourself. And so, an example that he uses is the difference in your attitude between having the action of looking for your wallet. Yeah, you're going through your apartment, you're looking for your wallet, versus having the action of um, seeing a wallet that's deliberately hiding itself from you. Mm. Uh, uh, and it sort of struck me that that's an interesting uh, and I think useful split because in the first one, you're searching for this object. And so if you're an actor looking to engage in that particular action, you are thinking about your own performance. How am I going to search for this wallet? Yeah, yeah. But if you think of the wallet as an animate thing with its own personality and its own mind that's willfully hiding right now, Mm -hmm. you immediately become irritated with it. (laughs) You don't so much think about your own performance as you think about this fucking wallet. Yeah. And it, it occurred to me that it's like, Oh, that's how I think about trains. When I like, a, when I just miss a train, you have like a flash of like irritation at this train that deliberately didn't wait for you, which yeah. is just
0: nonsense. But like, you think that the, the conductor looked at him and was like, he's about to come and slam the exactly. door. And
1: so, and that's where you see when people miss trains, uh, they will throw tantrums. And, and I mean, I do it too. Everybody yeah. does it. You you just go like berserk, but it was also making me think of the way that, like, in a little kid's mind, the world is still a much more animate place than it is in a grown-up's mind. Oh, and yeah. objects have personalities to them. And there's a little bit more. I mean, kids haven't learned how to be cool yet. But even beyond that, they're they're engaging with these personalities that they're surrounded by. And so it's really easy for a little kid to fall in love with things around them because you're surrounded by people playmates. Whereas in a grown-up brain, I think the danger in growing up is in letting everything become just an, an object to you. Yeah, And then you begin to slowly lose passion for anything. You become this sort of solipsistic bubble that's traveling through a dead universe.
0: One of my favorite things uh, ever was, so I used to teach at an elementary school. I was an elementary school teacher. And I kept a list for the whole time I taught there of every off-topic question that kids asked the whole time, which is just like, what's going on in their brains? And they would ask, it was amazing because it's just what you're saying. Like the world was so different to Mm -hmm. them. Like a kid came up in the middle of nothing once and just said, if you cut out all the human tongues on the planet and all the whale tongues on the planet, which would weigh more? <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to think about that for the rest of my life. <laughs> or another kid was like, sometimes when I'm uh, lying in the bath, I just realize I'm lying in my own filth. That's why my mom hoses me off afterwards. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That's a little too much information about you. <laughs> or like, uh, you know, one time, uh, a girl came up and she was like, are unicorns real? And I was like, no, unicorns are not real. And then she goes, are rainbows real? And I was like, yes. And she goes, oh yeah, I've seen a rainbow. <laughs> I just love that she lives in a world where it's like, got to confirm, unicorns, no, rainbows, yes. Magic, maybe. Who yeah. knows? We'll figure it out. Yeah. It, it, okay, so
1: let's go back for a second to your obsession with lists. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems to me that, that uh, um, compiling a list that asks the question to your shower, mm-hmm. uh, why do you get dirty when I just fill you with water and soap, is a way of provoking that same style of thinking. Yeah. It's a way of using that list to kind of. Uh, 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 there's construction going on above us. There are two improv classes going on to the side of us. So please excuse all the noise. <laughs> it just uh, means activity it, and success.
0: I'm just constructing. I'm actually making lists. <laughs> I'm drilling them into the wall. Hey, as this. <laughs> I'm drilling a wooden sign full of
1: lists into the wall. He's using a, a, a router. So uh, yeah. uh, in a minute it's going to get loud. Yeah, here. you might you might hear that in a minute. It's like when you in like wood shop in junior high school when you make like the piece of the block of wood that just says mom on it. Yeah. And now,
0: but i'm just gonna I, you make me think of this list so i want to see I, I had another thing for oh, was great. my other question for awesome objects oh here's another one yeah for baby carrots we all know you're just a full-grown carrot that got shaved what's the deal yeah. who are you trying to fool <laughs> that's another question i had for an about object your process as a comedian
1: yeah. as a stand-up as a monologist uh, um i think one question that's a lot of people have of comedians is is how do you find ideas you know what's your yeah. source of inspiration how do lists help you i assume that they do far be it for me to put words into your mouth but how do how do making lists help you sort of probe these sort of interesting and in a way very childlike ideas i mean childlike yeah. please don't be insulting no people. no i think that's you great know, i try and go for possible.
0: that I, and also in my real life like aside from me being a comedian i honestly wake up and i'm like i'm a 10 year old boy and then i look in really? the mirror and i'm like huh you're a bad looking 10 year old boy. Is that, do you feel that way or yeah. is that you remind yourself of that? I, I do. I mean, I don't legitimately think I'm 10 years old, oh, but, yeah, but course, I yeah. do feel like I've built like a life and tried to deliberately create a life where I have more of that, like child's like magic and enthusiasm. Yeah. Like I try and deliberately not be, I try and fight really, really hard against cynicism. Yeah. And I, I try and be at, like, if I have the choice between like making more money, but having it be like, I'm going to lose some of that like play and freedom. I'll like always be like, forget the money. Let's like, as long as you can pay rent and like food, let's forget extra money and choose more play and like fun and excitement.
1: And so that becomes a, a sort of measuring stick for you when yeah. you're making choices in your life. That's
0: incredible. I, I almost always think about it as like, like what would I do? Cause I think, I think often people really get like sidetracked by money or by fame or by these other things that you're searching for. And right. so I often think about like, what's the life that I would want to live. Yeah. And it, honestly, like, I this is in all honesty before I even started comedy people would be like what would you do with a million dollars and I was like I would wear a new pair of socks every day Mm. like that's the ultimate luxury for me I love the feeling of a new pair of socks and then someone one time I I said that so many times not as a joke and someone was like you know that that's not that expensive right it probably costs you like five hundred dollars to buy that many socks and when I realized that I was like This, this, like it was a transformative moment where I was like, my wildest dream is to have $500. Like yeah. that's not, that's totally doable. Yeah, I could save $500 by being a barista at Starbucks and like buy myself socks every day. So yeah. then I, was, I just started realizing like what I really want is to like be able to like spend time with people and to be able to like do these things to be, to be able to do the art. And so that's the most important part to me. Then uh, I'm going to sidetrack for a second. But yeah. I do want to talk about the, the inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, there's
1: something about that that again it, it it recognizing that like a pair of new socks feels so good for you. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel like the the your sort of master plan for your life or your your master dream for your life can begin to obscure your ability to recognize that you love things like putting on new socks that they feel so good yeah. that you become insensitive to those kinds of things until eventually it becomes more dream and fantasy than like tangible pleasures. But there's something about that where you're just keeping yourself so close to what's around you and so close to like the surface in the best way possible yeah. to what's tangible. And so it keeps you animated and alive and open to everything. And and the thing that strikes me about it is your obsession with your career and your obsession with, I don't mean you, but one's obsession with one's career or or more money, whether that money be for security for the future or whether that money be for status, uh, um, all creates this abstraction that takes you further and further away from anything tangible. Yeah. And eventually cynicism just comes in, I think just with that like colossal, Distance between your actual waking, living, present life here and now, and something that can end up being sort of like a, a, a program running in your brain on a constant, endless loop. You can't find satisfaction anymore in the tangible things that actually give it to you. You only find
0: satisfaction. You find eventual satisfaction. Yeah. So the best, the best advice I've ever gotten about making a life in comedy, and, and you know, I've been really fortunate in that. Like this is. I've now had three years where I've just done comedy full time, which I feel really, really fortunate about. And it's great and really exciting. But the best advice I've ever gotten about it was this woman, Julie Smith, who I I work with, who's a producer and she works on a lot of great stuff. Um, She was like, you know, the reason to do this is not because of money or fame. The reason to do this stuff, because you could easily make more money doing just about anything else. And you would certainly spend way less time on it. But the reason to do this is because this is one of the only things you can do where you get to choose to only surround yourself with people who you admire and you want to work with. Mm. You kind of have complete control in that. And that is a hundred percent the reason to like why I like this. I, my goal for forever was to make as much as I made when I was a public school teacher. Mm. Right. And like, I finally am doing that now and I feel great about that. But like, I could have made a lot more money by just continuing to be a public school teacher. Yeah. So it wasn't about that. But what, what the difference is, is like now I get to just be like, this is a person who I really admire and who I love and I love their work. And honestly, most of the time I'm able to do some work with them at some point. And Mm -hmm. I've been so amazed by how that's possible if you just like keep pushing and working on it. Um, So that, that to me is like when there's someone around you where you're don't respect their values or where it seems like, Oh, like this is kind of like gross or slimy, which happens unfortunately a lot in the whole entertainment world. Just reminding yourself, like the point of doing this is so that you're surrounded by people who you care about and, respect and admire. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then what's the point, right? You can make a lot of money by doing you can make the same amount of money by doing a lot of easier things. Yeah. Certainly by spending less hours doing them. How do you deal with
1: with some of the more negative aspects of just life as a performer and life as a comedian? It, it what I mean by that is a lot of improvisers that I know, and it's true for me. After a show, even after a good show, mm-hmm. will sometimes have this kind of sinking feeling. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. You know, and it, it, whether that is like, it's a drug, basically. It is a drug. And it's like, you have the high and then you have the low. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? It, it, because, because what you're saying just sort of strikes me as like, of course, it it just, it's like, of course It, 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 it's inarguable and it, it clearly fuels you with this incredible energy and this incredible passion it you, you just you know yourself really well um so how do you deal with that attitude of keeping yourself seeing the world through the eyes of a 10-year-old boy and keeping yourself just fascinated and exuberant and surrounding yourself with people that you're passionate about that you mm-hmm. want to to be with how do you keep the negative side of comedy and the negative
0: side of performance from poisoning that well so for me and i think this is like the same way that there's no one path in mm-hmm. comedy, right? Like everyone's path is unique. It's so different than like, like I have friends who are lawyers and t- totally this is not a, a slight on them at all. But the path for a lawyer with few exceptions tends to be like you do these things and you could just tell someone like do these five things and then you'll work at a firm. And mm-hmm. if you get this grade point average and have this clerkship, you'll probably end up at this firm. And comedy is not like that at all. I mean, everyone, if you talk to a hundred people, they had a hundred different paths. So uh, in the same way, I think people have a hundred different ways of dealing with, this, like the tough parts, the Mm -hmm. the rejection, I I often describe it to people, friends who are not comedians as like, you know how hard it is to apply for jobs and to send out like a hundred resumes and kind of hear back from like five. And maybe of those five, like one, maybe wants to interview you. Um, comedy is like that every day, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what you have to constantly be applying for shows and like sending yourself out there and being like, Hey, can you book me? Hey, like this, I'd love to do a show here. And like, maybe, and you just constantly are like getting that same, like either nothing or like, ah, sorry, we're all booked up. Yeah, And that's the best comedians have that just as much as the lowest level comedians and the lowest level of all comedy. Right. Um, so I think a hard part about the easy part about that would be to say like, Oh, it sucks. No one's ever saying yes. Cause not everyone's saying yes. So it's important to every year at the end of the year, I try and make like a list of like, what did you accomplish this year? And to like, look, just look back at that list and be like the thing that I had at the beginning of 2012. Now I would be embarrassed by mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so easy to forget about that growth, but like now I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a normal thing. Whereas then it was the biggest thing that happened. Mm -hmm. So I, I try and one focus on that. And then the other thing is, and I think this is where I don't want to be prescriptive, but is certainly true for me is it's important to me to have a lot of friends Mm -hmm. and, uh, have my partner, my girlfriend, um, fiance to be, uh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's funny to say fiance. I try and avoid it because it's like, even though we've been engaged for a while now, it's like, you can't say the word without making someone congratulate you. (laughs) It's like a forced congratulations, which is such a strange thing. Um, but all of them are not comedians Uh and having people who I talk to who are not comedians, I find is for me really easy to have perspective because You know, when I talk to my teacher friends or my friends who are lawyers or my friends who work in publishing, all these other things, they're always like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, good for you. And they don't have the same thing as where sometimes with comedians, they're like, yeah, you didn't get that club either. Or like, oh, you're not on a house team. And you're like, it's so easy to get down. Whereas when you talk to your friends who don't do this, they're like, you perform. That's amazing. Yeah. People, someone once recognized you on the subway. Yeah. Even though it was like your friend's brother. Who cares? That's amazing. Someone recognized you. Like that stuff, I think. And, and also remembering that like the downtimes, those times that are low afterwards are making it too. Right. Like having, feeling like, Oh, I just bombed a show and getting to commiserate with the people you performed with at the bar afterwards. That is making it just as much as killing it and, and having celebrating with that. Oh, like, sure. Well, you it's... get to do it. You right. don't have to, you get
1: to. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. That's a,
0: that's a, Gethard. I'm stealing that from Gethard, but that's his thing is like, you get to do this. Yeah. You get to have the bad night at the bar with your friends. Yeah. You don't have to. That's a wonderful
1: way to look at that. Yeah. It Yeah, I mean, at least like in the world of improv bombing or or really screwing up a show or, you know, it, it, those are, those end up being the things that make you part of the club with people too. Like, there is, there is something of, of like, you're one of us now when that happens. As bad as it feels in the moment, it's a story that you share when you're Broadway Danny Rosing it later on. (laughs) Totally, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why people love, like, even non comedians, like, one of the most common questions people ask is like, What's the worst you've ever bombed or yeah. like what's the worst heckle you've ever gotten cuz yeah. there's just like this fascination with like you make yourself vulnerable and sometimes it doesn't go well. Well, that
1: goes back into that Louis the Moore thing though, doesn't it? Yeah. When people want you to kind of reenact the worst that you've ever had. Totally. And and being able to see you kind of courageously reenact it, it's almost like sort of like a source of like oh we all overcame it. We're still here together. Totally. You know, it it, it there is a certain amount of like heroism yeah you know even in like your failure as a comic or like whatever
0: but i you know like do you want to hear mine yeah sure i can tell you mine. this is the the worst one we don't have to no please the the worst one is uh right when i was starting um stand up i used to do kind of like an improvised portion because i was so much more confident in improv yeah so i would say i'll tell you a story about whatever you want to hear what do you want to hear a story about and one time i was doing it at this like really small theater and like the side theater at improv boston which is like my kind of home theater and uh I was like, what do you want to hear a story about? And a guy said, Serbia. And I was like, oh yeah, Serbia. Like, let me pull out my ethnic cleansing material. You're going to really love the dissolution (laughs) of Yugoslav empire jokes. This is going to be hilarious. But I was like, let me at least try. Yeah. So I tried to tell something that was kind of related. And this is a true story. But before I say this, like, I want you to know that I very much don't stand by that I said this. It was a bad idea. Uh But I was like, so one time I went to Sarajevo in college with a friend who's from there. And I, I was like really nervous about going. I thought it wasn't going to be good. It was going to be weird. But like I went and it was actually amazing. Like truly such a beautiful city, really great food. People were so friendly. There's this brewery right in the center of town. There's this micro brewery. And we went and we got uh, beers there and the beers were great and everyone was so friendly. And the one thing that was kind of weird is the person next to you, they would, they started talking to me and I was like. How are you doing? And they're like, good now, but 10 years ago, my wife and child were killed by sniper on the street. So I said that. I shouldn't have said it. I strongly back away from that statement. But what happened next was a different man stands up in the audience, clearly very drunk and goes, that's bullshit. I'm Sarajeven. And I thought two things right away. I thought, one, what are the chances of a Sarajeven being in the crowd? That's like statistically unlikely. And two, this guy's going to murder me, right? Like he's drunk and angry. And then this is 100% true. This is what he goes. That's bullshit. I'm sorry, even. It's not microbrewery. It's macrobrewery. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I have no idea how many barrels of beer they export. Sure, it's a macrobrewery. And then he just sat down and was fine. Wow. And the rest of the afterwards, he was like, funny jokes. You're like, I like I like babysitting material. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That part didn't actually happen. Okay. Not babysitting material. But he did sit down and was fine after that. Yeah. It was just the brewery that he was upset about. Uh, yeah. Jeez, not the
1: murder of that guy's family. That's yeah, not I was like, oh, I'm upset at myself for saying. Shit. But that's
0: that's the truth. Like the reason that's the worst echo is because that's the one where I like feel like my cheeks will like flush and I feel shame that I ever said have done that. that. I, oh, yeah, that, that's the worst echo. Yes. Someone bringing you to the point of being like, oh God, why did I say that?
1: Yes, they say that that you're most upset by by what you didn't do, that the the impulse that you resisted. But I don't think that that's true. I, I think it definitely you're most most embarrassed looking back on on when it's like I should that was not right to yeah. say. I,
0: I feel like sometimes I'll have like flashbacks to like really like small moments that are like shame moments and yeah. that's like one that I like flash back to and I'm like <gasps> why did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Going back to uh your work as a stand up. Oh yeah. And your
1: crafting uh, of jokes. It seems one lesson I'm 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 drawing from our conversation today is uh, uh to trust in the power of lists.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing is, I think there's so many different styles, uh, just, you know, in, in all forms of comedy, there's so many different styles. But something that's important to me and my personal style is that if you talk to me as a person and then you saw me perform, you wouldn't feel like that's a different person because I have some friends who are comedians who I think are fantastic comedians. But I think if you saw them on stage, you'd be like, oh, you have a thing. You're like a kind of a character on stage. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's mostly true with one liner guys. Mm-hmm. And I think they're great. I think I because my brain doesn't work like that. I'm so impressed by it. But for me, I mostly tell like the way I think about coming up with jokes is I think about here's a story that I want to talk about and it generally starts with a true story. And then I think about that as like the skeleton of a tree and I'm going to hang these jokes on it. So like how can I write more things that can hang off the story that already exists and how can I decorate it with these more jokes to kind of punch it up. And a lot of times lists work for me in that sense because it'll be like like I have, a, I have a joke that I'm working on now that's based on a true thing that happened just, you know, a month ago, which is um a trip that I took with my fiance's family. And, uh, as I'm doing it, we took a trip to Denver, Colorado. And, uh, we actually Boulder, we were in Boulder, Colorado. And while we were there, it was one of the, you know, I was with her mom uh, and her sister. And the first thing her mom was like, well, we're in Boulder, Colorado. We have to go to the celestial seasonings tea factory. Like that's the number one thing we have to do in Boulder, Colorado. It was on the top 10 tea tours of America. And so, That just like really made me laugh. One that like there was a list that was the top 10 tea tours of America, but also the like we're going to take a tour of this tea factory. And so something that I've been working on is like, what are a bunch of things that are funny about tea to me? And then I'll kind of hang those jokes off. Um, But essentially what happened was the story is pretty simple. You know, we went to the tea factory and the tour was actually great because they had all these um, ingredients out. So they had like these tons of, you walk through the actual factory and it's the most intense smells you've ever smelled. So you like walk and you're like smelling like amazing, like ginger, the most, they have like two tons of ginger and then you take another step and there's like two tons of, um, of like cinnamon and you're smelling these like really intense smells. So it was fascinating. And then they have one room that's totally sealed off. And they have a big sign over it that says, like, the Mint Room. <laughs> and they sell they sell all this, like, swag that says, like, like, T-shirts that say, I survived the Mint Room. And, like, magnets. I survived the Mint Room. And they made this whole big deal about it. Like, are you ready to survive the Mint Room? And then they open the gates, and it goes up like a Jurassic Park gate opening. So it goes like, do do And when the gate opens, the smell of mint hits us just, like, the strongest possible smell of mint. Like, we're like you're huffing paint, but it's just mint. Like, and it was so intense. And as soon as the smell hits us immediately, this little girl in the front just vomits everywhere. Wow. Like instantly. And she, it was like, she did not survive the mint room. They couldn't (laughs) sell her the t-shirt afterwards. (laughs) She was the first person that couldn't buy the t-shirt. So, and uh, another thing that was amazing about it was uh, we could see that there was vomit everywhere, but the smell of mint was so strong that I was asked like, all I smell is mint. Wow. Like really, they, there is a strong smell of mint in here. So that really made me laugh, like that whole scenario. And then, as I'm working with that story as like the base, now I'm trying to like hang these little, put these little ornaments of jokes on it. And like, what's funny about mint? What's funny about tea? What's funny about taking a tour of a factory? All, all these things. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my process is generally something that tickles me, and then try and figure out a bunch of things that I can add on
1: to. Yeah. That it it, it sounds almost like putting a frame around an idea. Like what I mean is is. You know that notion of like ask somebody to just name ten objects that are that are uh uh colored uh, you know green,
0: That's my favorite improv warm up by far, yeah, it's, it always makes me laugh yeah it it sometimes it can
1: be too much if you just so name these ten things right now, but if you were to say name ten green objects in a refrigerator, yeah the refrigerator is the thing that suddenly narrows your focus down and now you immediately have access to these things. So there is something really powerful about that kind of framing device of what makes me laugh about this and being able to kind like,
0: and also I think like when, when I was teaching an improv class, we, we would do seven things about, and then they would ask each other. And what was so interesting is the first three were always boring because they were ones that you'd think of. They kind of plan like what are three, seven things you'd find in a Thai restaurant and it would always be like the logical ones. But when you got to five and six, Oh my gosh. It was like people, because it was the real honest, yeah. esoteric, idiosyncratic stuff. And that to me is, that's the reason to listen to someone is to see like, Oh, that's a really weird little thing that you noticed. Or like, that's a weird thing that your brain would pick out as a type of hat yeah. or a thing that's green. Yeah. Like that's, what's fascinating. To me.
1: Yeah. I want to, to end uh, uh, with this. This is probably a really bizarre question but you strike me as a man with a sense of vision to you. Like uh, uh, um, there's a clear like running theme through the stuff that you do. And I'm curious, sort of like this has been on my mind a little bit too. Maybe this is an obscene thing to say, but the role of comedy and humor, the responsibility of comedy and humor uh, um, to us culturally as we're growing and evolving and, 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 synthesizing a tremendous amount of technology and new information that's coming our way and, and sort of changing the way that we live. I would argue that there is a role that comedy plays in, in helping us absorb and adapt and, and, and perceive differently. But I'm curious if you have a perspective on that, because it seems to me like so much of, of what you create is about sharing a sensibility with the world to make thinking and associating exciting to people to make embracing experience and drawing connections and parallels and noticing things specifically and knowing yourself exciting to people and, and, and and vibrant to people. It seems to me like the kind of comedy that you explore, it, it, there's a sense of vibrancy to it of, of shedding a light to it. I'm Hmm. wondering if that's not a ridiculous thing to talk about.
0: No, I don't think that, I don't think that's a ridiculous thing at all. Uh, well, one thing that that makes me think of is I, I feel like both myself and many, if not all of the performers that I admire and that I like to work with, I feel like there's this kind of shared commitment to big C capital C comedy mm-hmm. in the sense that like, it's important to me and it's important to those people that if you bring someone in, who's not already in the comedy world, that they see something they enjoy so that you don't turn them off from comedy because that so often happens where people are like, yeah, I just don't like live comedy. Mm-hmm. I saw something bad and like, hmm, I'm not going to do it. And that, to me is like such a loss, so like I feel this real this pressure to be like if you're gonna bring someone in, like you have to make it so that like they're exposed to something good so that they'll like see all these other amazing things that are out there that are in the comedy world, and like we have to bring people in and, and show them the right stuff so that then they can get to the deep cuts where it's like, well, that was real weird, but like I feel like that's really important to bring people in and to to make it accessible uh but as far as the the other part too, I think. I mean, I just think to me, comedy is, has been a really powerful thing in my own life. Um, something that like has helped me through a lot of hard times. And, and I think like just the ability to laugh and to be around people who laugh, that seems to me like that's a really amazing gift to be able to be given and also to give other people. And so when I think about it like that, I do think it's really important. Yeah. And, I, and I think wanting to be a part of that is kind of like why... I got into this in the first place. And I think that's why many people get into it is because like it means something to you personally. Like I remember just listening to, for example, I listened to the, the, I remember being like in high school maybe, or maybe middle school and listening to the squirrel cop episode of this American life. Mm -hmm. And just thinking, I remember listening to it like five times in a row and being like, I've never laughed harder in my life. And that was such an important thing where I was just like, this joy is like contained in this recording that felt so important to me and, and to be able to be a part of that. Wow. That's, I mean, that's magic. That's really crazy magic. Chris Duffy.
1: Congratulations to you and your fiance.
0: Thank you. Thank Thank, you. (laughs) Thanks for
1: talking, man. This is a pleasure. Oh yeah. It
0: was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, you can find out so much more about Chris online. Is it, uh, Chris Duffy comedy.com Chris Duffy comedy.com.
0: Unfortunately, there are a lot of other Chris Duffy's out there, including a professional weightlifter who does not look anything like me so don't go to his website
1: don't go to his well go to his website and yeah you should go. check okay, it out he out. is uh, yeah.
0: probably on steroids it looks like oh boy wow those are fighting he, he doesn't wear a lot of clothes either so you maybe you should go to his website go to both of the websites and you know you draw your own conclusion Here, here's what you, what you should do. definitely go to my website but also in another tab google image search chris tuffy and you're gonna see uh, quite a lot of man that's chris Duffy,
1: also, just Google regular Chris Duffy and see a lot of man. Uh, 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 check out Taste Test Comedy, Three Great Things, Most Incredible Hour Language School. Chris, you're also going to be doing monologues for the Amanda Diaz experience yes. in March,
0: correct? In March, yeah. Do you know the date for that? I believe it's the last Saturday in March, March 26th.
1: The last Saturday in March. That's 7.30 at the Magnet Theater. You can see Chris live doing a monologue, doing several monologues. Uh, fantastic stuff. Thank you guys very much. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thanks to Grant Goldberg, our engineer, Evan Barden, our producer, and thanks again to Chris Duffy for talking today. Uh, um, Please check us out online to find out more about who we are and what we do. Magnetheater.com is the name of that website. We offer classes and shows. Both of them are tremendous. If improv seems like something that might be fun for you to do, but you're a little nervous to test the waters, we offer free intro to improv classes on a weekly basis. Free. You got to do it. Do you it. You have to do it. There's no excuse. We ask nothing of you. You're losing money by not doing it. That's exactly right. We are charging you by the minute if you don't show up for the free class. Uh, uh, that's because all of your information is now in the cloud, my friends. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. We are the master coders. Uh, Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast please give us a nice rating and maybe a shout out on itunes if you didn't enjoy the podcast good for you for sticking it out Yeah, why did you listen this long that's a lot of time yeah you're really a masochist great job uh thank you everybody thank you chris thanks guys Bye, bye bye
0: you've been listening to the magnet podcast